You are listening to Country of Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is Series 3, Episode 12, for Monday, April 17th. 2023, the day before taxes are due for the federal government and your state governments and uh, wherever else. Uh, JJ Sefton here, joined once again by my co-blogger, colleague, and good friend, CBD, who is reporting from uh, somewhere in the world. CBD, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine, or at least I was until you mentioned taxes. Uh, I had to go over my uh, income tax return this morning and I spent several hours doing it. Um, I'm, I mean, scraping the puddles of vomit off of my uh, keyboard was unpleasant. But other than that, I'm doing fine. I'm uh, I'm reporting from sunny London, England, our east end of London, where uh, it's an odd mixture of very new housing and uh, obviously turn of the century or turn of the 19th century to 20th century housing. And that is equally obviously uh, courtesy of the uh, Nazi bombing dur- during World War Two. Um, it's an interesting glimpse into the reality of our world, which is that it is still being affected by World War II. Not particularly important, but it's an, it was an interesting uh, thing to see. It's beautiful and sunny here, so uh, I think that uh, trumps most of what's going on in the uh, upper Midwest. Um, how, yes. how is it by you? Down here we had, uh, well, let's see, over the weekend it was, I mean, we had three or four days where it was in the 70s and sunny, and then all of a sudden yesterday... It's now 30-something degrees, and we have snow showers for the day. So, uh, yeah, I had to break out the coat again and, and uh, epithets and curses to, to the heavens. But this will this too shall pass. So not too worried about it. It'll it, Spring is – it is the trend is irreversible. Spring is on the way. So happy about that. It's, you know, it's, it's it, happens, about that. it happens almost every year. <laughs> almost every year. One, whoops, one year it won't happen, and, uh, and then well, we won't be here to report about it. But you never know. Uh, you know, you talk about taxes, and 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 I was musing this morning on on the morning report where you know there's always this constant debate over, and everyone gets their their undies in a bundle over the debt ceiling and budgets, which we haven't had one I think since since George W. Bush, but and all this stuff about uh, spending and, and borrowing money, and saying you know why does everybody get up you know why do we even have taxes in the first place? The government and the left seems to be under this impression that you can just borrow and and print and spend as much as you want. So if that's the case, then what do you need my money for? Just borrow and spend on anything you want to spend on and leave us the hell alone. But of course, as we all know, uh, it's not about that. It's about it's about crushing us. And so that's our government. I think it's it's two things. It is about crushing us and that the you know, the idea that we they can crash society, you know, crash this debt laden society and out of the ashes like a phoenix, a beautiful socialist utopia will arise. It's that's arrant nonsense, as everyone knows. But the mandarins, you know, the elites think that because they will be running it, that it will be different this time. It's also stupidity based on uh, a lot of really crappy economic research done, you know, in the last hundred years. Uh, the idea that a government can run small deficits is technically rational. But the problem, of course, is that they can never control those deficits and they grow and they grow and they grow. You know, as long as as your society, as your economy is growing, let's say at two percent, you can increase your deficit by something less than that two percent. And assuming a, a steady tax base, it is manageable. But in reality, uh, you know, your economy grows at two percent, and your government spending grows at two point five, or three, or three point five, or in our case, sometimes ten percent a year, or twenty percent a year. 
and that's unstable, it's unmanageable, and it will fail eventually, as we are seeing now, I think. Well, you know, it's, you talk about the, the, the wizards of smart who, who run our government and who do this. Uh, at one point, we actually had a private sector where you had relatively competent people running things. But as we all know, if we've looked over the last week to uh, what's going on at uh, one particular company, just as an example, Anheuser-Busch, where they've lost about $6 billion in, in value because uh, some genius there decided to put a transvestite as the spokesman for a blue-collar beer. And uh, that has blown up in their faces and to the point where they're now backtracking. And I believe Anheuser-Busch released a commercial showing how patriotic and macho they are with, with, with the Clydesdales. I don't think it's going to work. But, man, if this is if this is the case, then uh, you know, bad enough we have the incompetence running the show in, in D.C. And, and in government in general. But now they're running it in the, in the boardroom. So that just does not bode well for a functioning and, and profitable society. I read the uh, the letter uh, written by the CEO of, I don't know, Han- Anheuser-Busch or InBev, who the hell knows. He's an American who, who did national service of some kind. And uh, it was this this pablum scooped up and flung at the American public uh, to make everyone feel better about Anheuser-Busch. But the fact is that uh, it doesn't make me feel better. And I don't think it makes anybody else feel better. He didn't confront the idiocy and the offensiveness of the ad campaign. He simply tried to push it under the, you know, to sweep it under the rug. And it didn't work for me. And I doubt it worked for, as I said, I doubt it worked for anybody else. I hope they fail. I hope that Bud Light disappears. And by the way, as far as I can tell, it's the single most popular beer in the United States. So why they had to, you know, have this radical shift of, a potential uh, of, a, of a potential market away from the people who are actually buying their beer and toward people who don't drink Bud Light, don't care about Bud Light, and simply see these things as as political tools is beyond me. But it isn't beyond me. It's stupidity. These people are so out of touch, so ignorant, so incapable of seeing the reality of the world that they think that you know in their fever dreams they've divined some perfect ad campaign that embraces equity and, you know, the beauty of transgenderism. And, oh, it will work because I think it will work. Well, guess what? It won't work. And it makes me laugh right now. As I said before, I hope Bud Light disappears and I hope Anheuser-Busch is badly, badly hurt. And I hope that InBev is badly hurt. You know, it's more than I think just the this particular individual who was the, the marketing genius, this woman behind us, I forget her name and who the hell cares what her name is. but I think people ascribe to her, you know, a sense of of this, you know, wanting to be more inclusive and so on and so forth. I think it goes beyond that. I think it's evil. It's like what they're doing with what they did with professional sports, all of these and entertainment sports and entertainment are supposed to be a refuge from politics, a refuge from divisiveness, where something where people can rally around and just forget their troubles as much as they can. And I think this woman who did this, I think she did it intentionally to rub in the faces of quote-unquote normal america which there is which is us and regular americans that hey we're here and and we're we're in you know we're in your beer and we're making your beer queer and there's not a damn thing you can do about it so i think this was just beyond just trying to normalize transsexualism it was rubbing it in our face that we've we've hijacked your brand and as uh iowa hawk used to say is uh take a respected institution gut it and wear its skin suit, uh, walk around with wearing its skin suit and demand respect. And I think that's exactly what they did with me. I think that, I, absolutely, I think that's true in part. But the other part is that these people are ignorant, they're inexperienced, uh, they're poorly educated, 
and they don't know what the hell they're doing. And I'm, I am confident that this woman, and again, I don't remember her name either, and that's perfectly okay. But this woman was undoubtedly placed in this position without benefit of any of the experience needed to succeed in that position. So it's, you know, that, 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 you know, that, that terrible, terrible combination of evil intent and stupidity is what is driving InBev and Anheuser-Busch and Bud Light into the toilet. And, you know, it it is more than one thing. I I think we're we're talking in circles right now. I think we agree with each other. But but I hope that you also agree with me that it would be a good thing if Bud Light is destroyed. It would be a good thing. Um, I feel bad for, you know, just regular people who work at the breweries, who work at the distributorships, and who really – who are also equally, I, I believe, offended by this nonsense, and they obviously, because of of the situation today in in the world in general, they dare not speak up lest they face the backlash of uh, of the woke Nazi uh, Gestapo in, in 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 the workplace and wherever else. But you know, it puts it puts people out of business, and it puts you know, it, it's it's not a good thing. It sabotages not just the brand, but you're ruining people's lives. Yes, Anheuser Busch should be punished for this, but in a way, it's a shame that that innocent people who work for Anheuser-Busch have to suffer because of this. And then going beyond Anheuser-Busch, you go to places like, uh, you know, whether it's a, like a Silicon Valley bank or whether it's all of these you know, ESG investment houses where uh, profit motive is taken away and the political motive is put in its place. It wipes it just wipes people out. It's not a good place to be. Yes, I, I believe me. Anheuser Busch should definitely, like Nike, uh, go the way of the way of the photo, and I could care less what happens. But at the same token, it's like it's just a shame that the repercussions of it, uh, you know, it, it it puts innocent people, uh, you know, under the gun. So it's too bad. I think yeah, that's that's a good point, and, I, and uh, thank you for the correction. I, I was I was being flip, and I and I should have have paid attention to the fact that there are actual real people attached to Bud Light and that, you know, probably tens of thousands of people involved in, in its production and marketing and delivery. And for them, I feel badly. However, um, is it time for people to begin to take sides? These are existential problems, not necessarily Bud Light, but it certainly illuminates an existential problem within our country. And do we have the luxury of being able to say, oh, you know, I'm not really political. It's just my job. That's easy for me to say, but I, I think it, it's rapidly approaching that point in the United States where people really do have to take a stand. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's. I was just thinking and musing about it in that you know we talk about bravery and taking a stand. I mean, you and I, are, you know, in case people don't realize it, uh, CPD and JJ Sefton are not our real names, folks. <laughs> Believe it or not. But but it's it's a sad state of affairs where we have to hide sort of behind anonymity to protect ourselves from uh, repercussions that are political and personal. And in, in some cases, you never know. It could be very well be physical. I mean, look what happened to, of course, uh, people like Andy No and, um, you know, Riley Gaines and, and so on and uh, J.K. Rowling. And, and the list goes on of people who you know, who sort of dare to defy the, the, the public line about a whole host of issues. 
they actually can suffer real physical consequences. You are right, CBD. We are rapidly approaching a point where you're either with them or you're, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And uh, there's no going back. to another. Um, we have uh, Gavin Newsom, who is the uh, commandant of the uh, camp in California that used to be the greatest state in the nation. He's been really trying. I, I don't see how he could do anything else worse than what he is doing now. He is, he is driving California into poverty. And it's fascinating what he's doing because it seems to be driven by the worst excesses of woke culture, by the worst excesses of the far left. And yet the people of California are embracing it. You know, I'm looking at, uh, at the, the recent weather reports that apparently, contrary to popular belief and what was stated just a few months ago, California is not going into its fourth year of drought. California is having record rainfall. And unfortunately, the lack of planning over the last 40 years has conspired. Not, no, it hasn't conspired. It is what it is. Uh, but the lack of planning over the last 40 years uh, means that all of that water, all of that precious water is going to go flowing right into the Pacific Ocean because they have not built a significant water storage facility in California in the last 40 years. They probably doubled in, in size, maybe not quite doubled. But, they have, but their water capacity has not changed. And that's disgusting. And it's unnecessary. California could be a, you know, what it used to be 40 years ago, which was an, an incredible agricultural powerhouse. But because of these insane water restrictions and the inability of the state to do anything that con- contradicts the, the worst excesses of the green movement in, the, in California, they don't store water, so they're, everybody's draining the aquifers. The Central Valley is sinking, and it's unnecessary. It's completely and totally unnecessary. Yeah, California, I believe, or at least Southern California, relies mostly on uh, the water coming from the Colorado River. And there you have a dispute. Arizona and some of the other states that are nearby about who, who has the rights to that water. And I know that's, uh, you know, stuff like that has been <laughs> the rights to water and, and the access to water has has driven much conflict over the over the course of not just recent history but all of human history. Um, but but this is insanity. California at one point uh, was the sixth largest economy in the world. Um, the, the the fruits and vegetables. I mean, it literally fed most of America. The fruits and vegetables, uh, the grain being from obviously the Midwest and the Grain Belt. But uh, there's that. It, it, it exports to the world its fruits and vegetables. Hollywood, the entertainment industry, was a multi multi billion dollar powerhouse that entertained and shaped the culture of the world uh, since its inception at the turn of the last century. Um, Silicon Valley, when it's not political, has changed the world with its inventions uh, and what seems to be for the worse as uh, the worst excesses of Silicon Valley and uh, and big tech are, are upon us as a means of repression. But beyond that, the positives are, are just unbelievable. And they, they couldn't stand to have a good thing 
And so literally the left is killing the, the, the a goose that is laying a golden egg, a golden egg that has rarely been seen uh, in human history and in American history. And as goes California, so goes the nation. So the madness over environmentalism, as far as the not being prepared to to um, collect rain, collect the rainwater and the runoff, uh, it also goes hand in hand with their drive to have literally a, a carbon-free or, you know, environment, no gasoline-powered vehicles, no two-stroke engines, no four-stroke engines. Everything is going to be powered by electricity, either wind or solar or whatever. And it's just not practical. It's not going to happen. You know, I was uh, chatting with a friend a few days ago, and he mentioned uh, that he had seen some uh, data that show that uh, if California succeeds in essentially banning all internal combustion engines, and shifting everything to electricity, that they would need 17 more nuclear power plants than they have now, which is rapidly approaching zero, obviously. That seems like a lot, but it doesn't really matter. The point, again, I I can't vouch for the data, but it elucidates the, the reality. And the reality is that you can't run an economy on electricity. The demands for moving things would overwhelm any technology that we have or that we have planned in the even in the far far future we simply can't move an economy with electric power we can do a lot of things electric power and it's a wonderful thing but we can't do everything and and the hubris of these people who think well you know if we just if we just get rid of new of uh coal power plants and and oil powered oil fired plants and natural gas plants we'll shift over to you know the, the the beautiful and quiet and and wonderful things like wind power and uh, solar power and water power. Well, it doesn't work. Everybody knows it doesn't work. I'm not going to go into it right now because everybody who's listening to this to this podcast realizes it will not work. You're right. It can't work. It's look at some point in the future, as I've always said, if some Edison or some Henry Ford or some Tesla comes up with with the better mousetrap that can create more energy, cheaper energy uh, per kilowatt or however it's or however it's measured per calorie than than oil, so be it. And put oil put you can put oil out of business, not a problem. Let it let it develop naturally. But to try to just impose a system. And just say we're going to have this no matter what when the technology just does not exist and the infrastructure does not exist to let this happen. You are asking for trouble. You are going to create uh, a disaster that is that, that that is just unimaginable. Let's uh, move a little bit to another stupidity on the part of the government of the state of California. Uh, they recently enacted a home sales tax that just destroys uh, people. I think in excess of a few million dollars, which you know sounds like a huge amount of money for for normal people in the rest of the country, but California has this ridiculous overheated real estate market, uh, and because of some profoundly misguided laws, a huge amount of capital is is locked up in people's homes. So a multi-million dollar home in California is no big deal, but they're they're going to tax it anyway. And apparently the uh, the high mucky mucks in um, Hollywood have been frantically selling because I think the cutoff was just recently. So uh, at, at least somebody's uh, paying it, which is good. That uh, makes me laugh because the people who are paying it are the people who were voted for it. It's not just home sale. It's also, I believe, is 
the real estate market in general, I think with uh, with apartment de- developments and other developments, it's you are going to cause such massive uh, dislocations and 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 ex- exodus of the tax base and property that it is just uh, you know it's madness. The other part of it, by the way, going going back to the green energies thing. Newsom uh, also issued an edict stating that uh, uh, going forward, uh, energy prices will be based on your income. So this is, you know, you, whatever you pay in, in fuel and, and in, in electricity and in gas or whatever it is to power your home is based on income, which is, uh, you know, one of these crazy Marxist uh, from each according to their ability to each uh, according to their need nonsense. What uh, Stefan was talking about is the idea that the cost of energy would be borne disproportionately based on one's income. The news article that I saw said that the utility would be charging an adjusted rate based on income. So uh, you would you'd pay a surtax or a surcharge uh, if you made more than, uh, I think it was about $185,000 a year, $187,500 per year. You know, ignoring the, the stupidity of that, um, I doubt very much that it is legal. I can't imagine even the Ninth Circuit. Is it the Ninth Circuit in uh, California? I believe California is Ninth Circus, yes. Yeah, I, I think that even even that bunch of lunatics would strike that down as being just a ridiculous overstep on the part of the government, or, or for that matter, private, uh, a, a public utility, which is what PG&E is. Uh, they are clearly public. Uh, I think they, they've, they're, they're so ridiculously controlled by the state that anyway. All this does is just disincentivize people from either staying in California, opening businesses in California, constructing homes and and, uh, commercial properties in California. The only people that are incentivized to be in California are either the super, super wealthy. And at a certain point, uh, they're going to be the rich are going to be eaten there by, by the government that they vote for or the massive waves of illegal aliens coming in from south of the border. Uh, it is literally becoming what is destined, I guess, for America to become an actual third world shithole. And as I said, as we talked about uh, just a, a little while ago, it's just such a tragedy that California was such a, a glittering jewel of possibilities where people go to dream, where people go to, and I don't mean that in the sense of dreamer, but people go to build businesses, to start new lives, and to drive an engine of one of the crucial engines of prosperity that that helped America uh, that, that really moved the American economy for for such a long time, and now it's being it's literally being intentionally murdered, and it, it is it is completely unconscionable, and and the ripple effect on that will be felt in in this country, and God forbid at some point perhaps uh, you know I mean that there is rumblings or there are rumblings that Newsom is going to be a, a primarying uh, uh, Joey Biden, so this is. But then again, you know, so if, if Newsom doesn't run, then who do you get? You get some other lunatic leftist. So this is really ain't good, folks. No, that's that's interesting that Newsom, uh, obviously, he's he's interested in running. Uh, you know, all all power hungry leftists are. I guess he's handsome. Uh, I think he's re- relatively presentable. But he, the record on which he can run is checkered at best. He's a bit of a crook, as we all know. We know that bailout of the um, Silicon Valley Bank was at least in part because his wife was a stockholder, I believe, or held a significant amount of money in the bank. I'm not exactly sure what the sordid details are, but he's not particularly bright. And I think that in a debate with an intelligent debater, certainly Trump could have a field day with him and DeSantis absolutely would have a field day with him. 
But again, you know, he's a good looking guy from California. You know, people will talk about the second coming of, of Camelot. So who knows? You know, America has so far gone down that hole of crap politicians who are all flash and no substance that it wouldn't surprise me that he was the Democrat nominee for president in 2024. I kind of don't see him as being the nominee only because he's uh, male. He's heterosexual. And, we don't and that know that. No, 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 no. Don't 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 assume <laughs> that. And that's not nice of you to assume. We don't know right. that. He identifies, he, as, he identifies as brill cream. But other than that, I mean, but beyond yeah. that, I mean, again, in, in, we talk about in a fair world. I mean, hopefully, you know, we, we've learned our lesson and, and our debate moderator is not going to be George Steps up. Yeah, well, let's let, let's not hold our breaths there, because uh, even in the best case, we're going to have a mildly antagonistic uh, left winger as the moderators, as the moderator. So we, we can't we can't count on that. Exactly. I had an interesting conversation. I'd like to segue a little bit about what's going on in Europe. Um, I had an interesting conversation uh, yesterday with a friend who lives in Berlin, and uh, he mentioned to me that Germany was closing its last three nuclear power plants. And I had seen that in the news, and I, I laugh when I hear about that kind of stuff, because Germany is a cold weather country, and it needs its energy, and people, people get cold in Germany. It's cold and dark for much of the year, and they need that energy. And what really amused me, and what really amused him, and by the way, he's, he's absolutely on the left, but the insanity of it amused even him, and that is that they are now reopening coal-fired plants to replace the energy lost by closing the nuclear, nuclear power plants. They won't replace it completely, but that is Germany's plan. So they are replacing nuclear power, which is perfectly clean with coal-fired plants that, you know, it's Germany, they're probably modern, they probably don't pollute very much. But, you know, that to me is, if I were a Green Party member, that would be a catastrophe. But that's not really the point. They don't care about the reality of energy policy. What they care about is, as what we discussed in California, is destroying society. And Boy, oh boy, it's going to be a wild ride in Germany in the next five or 10 years. Well, they can always ship the nuclear plants to California, but somehow I don't think that's in the cards. Germany is rich in coal. I mean, it's like like West Virginia here in the Appalachians and, and even out in the West. We are that country is is uh, well known for its coal. And it it, it, it industrialized, uh, you know, the Ruhr is built on coal fire, was built on coal fired plants. And uh, it's funny that their Green Party is actually quite powerful. Again, it's where practicality meets, you know, we get slapped upside, you get mugged by reality. Really. Yeah, you know, I, I don't feel badly at all. It makes me smile. <laughs> you know, I, 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 want, I want Germany to, uh, to be shivering in the dark for the next five or ten years. Anyway, so uh, back to the United States. Seth and I were talking before we began uh, recording this podcast about the bizarre disconnect in the United States away from being critical of violence and toward being critical of gun violence. Now, the United States is a is a gun centric country. Obviously, everybody knows that. But outside of the big cities, it is a very, very peaceful country. And the violence or the so-called gun violence occurs primarily in the big cities. But Violence occurs primarily in the big cities. And the, obviously the reason that they try to 
define away violence and turn it into gun violence is because they hate guns, because guns are the great equalizer. Guns make a five foot, one inch, 110 pound woman the equal of a six foot, three inch, 225 pound man. He can make her do what he wants her to do if she doesn't have a gun. But if she has a gun, he cannot use violence. He cannot use force. And the same thing writ large is government. And everybody laughs about, oh, you know, we, we have AR-15s, but the government has F-15s and, and F-22s. Well, so what? But that's not really the issue. Yeah, let, let me just exactly. I will say that violence is, is the issue. It's not gun violence. And as you say, CBD, the only reason that they're after the guns and the only reason that the Second Amendment exists is as the absolute last firewall for the citizenry to oppose uh, a, a tyrannical government. Um, and as we all know, this is not something that is uh, strictly to the, to the 18th century or the late 18th century or before. This is in every generation, in every, in every century, this is the human condition. Uh, tyranny abounds. The American, the exceptionalism of American exceptionalism is that America is the exception to the rule or was the exception to the rule of government, where the government, the power is vested in the people and the, the people are the ones that control the government, not vice versa. And what happened is that the genius of our founders, they wrote that Second Amendment as as, as the last resort in, in case of emergency, break glass and pull a handle. I'm not advocating that. We're not advocating that. But but that is the reality. That is what the Second Amendment is all about. The fact is, the issue is violence. Why are people violent? Why do we have these shootings? Why are these things happening? Why is there crime in the streets? Well, it all goes back to the permissiveness that was fostered by the sexual revolution, the feminist revolution, and the anything goes attitude of, of the late 50s into the 60s. This, this is the reason for all of us. Of course, nobody wants to talk about that because then the finger of blame is pointed squarely on the left. They'll never own up to that. Fact, but it's not just the left. It's, it, it's, you know, the violence occurs in, in a very, very small population within the United States. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's inner city youth who are, who, yes. are, who are being who are the hyper violent people in, in our country. You know, if you eliminate uh, what is it, the top six, top five or six blue cities, and their violence, the United States is about as safe as Belgium, which means that it's quite safe. Again, until our culture, our society addresses the disgusting violence among a certain part of black America and a certain part of Hispanic America, then we will never, ever do anything about this. But I think that what your, what your, your point about the permissiveness of beginning in the late 50s and 60s and into the early 60s is absolutely the case. And I think, you know, talking about abortion as a coarsening of our culture and the idea that respect for human life can be discarded is very, very important. If we kill the most innocent among us, then killing some guy down the street who dissed you should be perfectly okay. The government says it's okay to kill babies. Well, why can't I kill him? And the answer is, well, you can. It's okay. And unfortunately, in the last uh, few years, it's accelerated in the last few years, we have district attorney all over the United States who say, yeah, it's okay. We're all right with that. Yes, they're all right with that. But unless you, once you start defending yourself like Kyle Rittenhouse 
or like the bodega owner in Manhattan who wasn't even using a gun. I believe he used a knife when he was nearly he was nearly killed and he wound up killing his assailant. Then, of course, you yeah. would be charged with that. So those those things, that, that's a whole other story. The decriminalizing of crime for the, for the effect of uh, destabilizing society and essentially using criminals as a means of um, societal dissolution and societal disruption so the government can come in and uh, and have its way with you because you will be crying for someone, anything to do something. This is what is happening right now. And it's funny, you talk about the inner cities of Chicago, which ousted Lori Lightfoot. What does it do? It just elected someone who probably makes Lori Lightfoot look like Rudy Giuliani in comparison. And from what I understand over the weekend, there was uh, massive violence of, of inner city youth happening in, in Chicago. And of course, I think it's it's perfectly fitting that uh, Chicago next summer. I am looking forward to the Democrat National Convention in Chicago next summer. I think it's going to be wonderful. I look forward to a repeat of 1968. And uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that the cops of Chicago are going to be the ones who are tossing bodies into the river and down the sewers. But I, I am confident that the bloodshed will be significant. And hopefully it will be competing factions of the hard left. I can think of nothing better than uh, rolling gun battles across uh, Chicago between Antifa and Black Lives Matter and, you know, the Revolutionary Communist Youth Brigade and who knows, PETA and, uh, you know, the, the usual suspect who foment violence across the United States, all, all in the name of our new socialist utopia. Well, and of I'm, course, by the way, I'm completely serious about this. I look forward to it and I hope it happens. I'll, I'll go. I'll go one. I'll see you that, and I'll raise you this one. Um, of course, people like this this horrendous woman, Cory Bush, and so on and so forth. And, and every high level uh, Democrat politician, they're going to have security details out the wazoo. But the average schnook delegate who goes from his hotel room to the convention center, whereas at McCormick Place, I don't even know where they're going to hold it. He's they're likely to get mugged, beaten, stabbed, raped. It, didn't this happen to a politician? I guess a couple of them in. Uh, in D.C. and then all of a sudden they started whistling a different tune about defunding the police. But it should only happen to them because then they'll get literally mugged by reality. But will the scales fall from their eyes? That is debatable. Maybe temporarily it might, but you never know. They might they might blame themselves because of white guilt. Oh my God, why why did this happen to me? Maybe if I wasn't such an inherent a white supremacist racist, they wouldn't have beaten me up. Well, it's my fault, not theirs. The little darlings. It's long past the time where we have any need to apologize for our beliefs. And I think that we can hold the left to the same standard. If a delegate gets mugged or beaten or shot at the convention in 2024, I don't care. He is part and parcel of the of the system that makes it okay to use violence in pursuit of whatever insane ends one, one has. So I, I spoke dispar not disparagingly, but uh, flippantly about a little while ago on this podcast, and I was incorrect, and, and I do apologize for that, because there are good people who work at those at that company and other companies like it. But uh, anybody who is high enough in the hierarchy of the Democrat Party that they go to Chicago to the National Convention, tough. Whatever happens is fine by me. May their karma run over their dogma, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite bumpers. All right, folks. Yeah. You know, we're, we're having some technical difficulties, and I apologize for that. Hopefully this, this will have recorded correctly, and we can uh, we can irritate you with our uh, um, over-the-top uh, prognostications. Once again, thank you very much for 
being such wonderful supporters of, of this channel. I really do appreciate it. Yes, indeed. Here, here. Um, we do appreciate your hitting the tip jar. It does keep us going. And believe me, it is uh, in this day and age, it is really necessary and it's most appreciated by by the Country Newsletter and Lisa Spade's uh, radio network. So if it's EBD, it's JJ Septon. Thanks for bearing with us. See you on the next one. Thanks for listening, folks.